Many of you are familiar with the now famous Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. Those towers that were uh, attacked on 9-11. But had you been at those towers early one morning in August of 1974, you would have seen something that was nothing short of amazing. Those massive towers of cement and steel that stretched into the sky some 1,350 feet, separated by a distance of 131 feet, that was the closest the architects determined that they could be together, so as considering the wind velocity that would go, uh, go between them. Those massive towers had, had foundations of cement and steel that went some 70 feet into the bedrock of Manhattan, and yet were able to flex up to 8 inches at the top. But on that hot August morning, you would have seen a cable stretched from tower to tower. News travels fast. You would have heard that it was the 25-year-old Frenchman named Philippe Petit. Almost a third of a mile high above the unforgiving streets of New York City. He walked from tower to tower, not once, not twice, but seven times. And to kind of break up the monotony, he went down on his knees. And finally, he laid on his back. His friends asked him to wear a safety belt. He refused because he said, I wouldn't be free. And afterwards, he was asked why he took such a risk. He replied, I feel I belong to the sky. It is the moment of purest happiness for me. At no time do I feel more free. I breathe slowly and enjoy immensely the miracle of balance. At first, I felt fear and the fear of letting go. I fought it, then I laughed at it. And in the middle of the wire, I dropped to one knee in the traditional salute of the tightrope walker, and there at my feet was all of New York. I laid down on the wire with my nose almost in the clouds, and I listened to the noises of the everyday world fall silent. I was surrounded by complete peace. I was liberated. I knew the rapture of heights. I'm convinced that some of you, in a spiritual sense, could understand this moment. The moment that Jesus Christ came to your prison, and he took grace and truth, and he opened your prison doors. Especially those of you that come from very conservative and legalistic backgrounds. John Newton said it best, how precious did that, that grace appear the hour I first believed. Liberated, suddenly life seemed unlimited, free in Christ. But oh, how we still need that balancing bar of truth as we consider our freedom in Christ and the differences in this church family. Good morning. I want to greet each of you in the name of Christ and certainly welcome you to this part of our worship service and I certainly uh, welcome you to a continuing study of Paul's letter to the Romans. 
In my years of walking with the Lord and, and uh, growing to understanding the Word, uh, God gave me a, just a, a desire. Uh, it was a deep longing. I, I, I longed to be part of a small country church where, where, where God was real. You could just watch God working in people's lives. But I also longed for it to be a place where the people were, were equally real. Where people were just down to earth, uh, genuine, and and so many ways each of you have have given to me that that desire of my heart and given me allowed me to see the fruition of it. Uh, the other Wednesday evening, as I sat, kind of soaked in the testimonies of of each of you as you shared, and, and uh, again on Sunday morning, I, I just sat there for a moment. I thought, you know, it's, it'd be hard for me to get it any more real than that. So I want to thank you for making this, this place of worship a safe place where people can share their heart and share really where they're at. But you know, as a pastor, there's something that I've really been very naive about. I'm just beginning to understand the delicate balance that it takes that's so crucial and essential for this congregation. The, dis, the, the delicate balance between liberty and license, that, that balance between interdependence and independence, that delicate balance between living for others and just living for yourself, that balance between being led by the Spirit or just living for that old Adamic nature, there's a second aspect that God has finally cemented for me. And I actually did it at work. At work as uh, we have tours going through uh, the place of my place of employment on a regular, fairly regular basis. And the other week, uh, a tour went through, and, and somehow one of the individuals found out that I was a pastor, so he came, stopped, and talked with me. And uh, he was a pastor as well. And he asked me where I pastored. I told him Berea, and he wasn't acquainted with us. But in the course of our conversation, he made a statement. A relational church versus a regular standard-based church, the work for the pastors was multiplied several times. In other words, it takes a lot more work on the part of the pastors to keep a congregation relating heart to heart. Now, I'm not complaining about that this morning. Uh, because you all do a good job of, of supporting us pastors, or we pastors here. But it does help me understand why sometimes it seems a little tough. So, uh, but as we get into this message, I know this uh, message has ignited some interest in, in the part of uh, some of you, at least. Uh, I've spent a considerable amount of time reading and meditating what the Lord would have me to share and I also want to kind of build a foundation for you. And, uh, but I want to begin by putting right up front, I am so grateful for gray areas. I am grateful that God did not give us a law book that applied to every specific situation and had told us to do what we needed to do in every situation. I am so grateful that God didn't do that. I am grateful that he gives us some truths and some principles and then he steps back and lets us struggle with it. I'm grateful he does that. 
I'm grateful for those moments that we, in this congregation, we, we laugh together. And I'm grateful for those moments we have some pretty intense fellowship. <laughs> and as a pastor, I'm keenly aware there are some of you there who look at life from a very conservative angle. And uh, you are, are very, uh, very cautious how you enjoy your liberty. And then I know that there are some of you who fly pretty free, who enjoy the freedom you have in Christ and don't mind using it. But as I spent uh, some time considering liberty and freedom, I just want to give you some food for thought. Real freedom has never existed apart from righteousness and restraint. Follow me closely. In other words, you cannot show me a kingdom or a country in this world where the people are free, where there are no just laws. In fact, if you take a look at our country, the very reason we are losing our civil liberties is because the focus has turned to personal rights. Because of personal rights, we are losing our civil liberties, all of us. But do you realize it works the same in the kingdom of God? When the focus becomes personal rights, we all lose what we enjoy. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. In the kingdoms of this world... The restraint is external and it is imposed by force. In the kingdom of God, the restraint is internal and we voluntarily impose it upon ourselves out of a love for the brothers. Uh, I took the time and I put a, together kind of a pathetic little illustration for you guys, but it works. I'm not great at drawing. You guys could get that. But it is true. We need love and self-control to help us balance on the tightrope of liberty. To give us a balance. Now, Paul is not against exercising the liberty he has in Christ. Nobody was freer than Paul. Remember, he wrote the letter to the Galatians which was the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. And we're going to see that in our text. But Paul also understood that unless restraint and self-control were exercised, that li the liberty that we enjoy is unsustainable. It cannot be sustained in a way that is positive, healthy, and balanced. So this morning, I want to give to each of you that balancing bar of truth with love for the brethren on one side and self-control on the other. As we work our way through the gray areas. And I can't emphasize enough this morning, each of you have a role to play in this. Each of you bear a personal responsibility and, and protecting the freedom we have in Christ here in this congregation. 
each of you bear a role in protecting it and so that we keep it a place uh, the liberty where it's healthy where it's balanced and where it's scriptural now I want to give you a pop quiz I gave you three truths as we considered the conflict in the truth, three tools. Who can tell me what the first truth was from the last message? What's the first truth? We are all on the same team. What's the second truth? <laughs> Give you a hint. <laughs> we all are under the same Lord. And the last truth is this. We will all give an account for our attitudes before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 13, that's the truth. The last truth is what the Apostle Paul has on his mind as he goes in, as, he, as he's writing this. Let us therefore judge one another, not Therefore, judge one another any more, but judge rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Because we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Apostle Paul says, stop being critical or judgmental of each other. He's saying stop going on fault-finding missions on your brother. Stop putting your brother on trial with the idea of finding something wrong with him. Why? Because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul is not saying stop being discerning. Take on the role of an ostrich, stick your head in the sand, don't be discerning. No, we don't ignore the obvious. But he's just saying stop, stop being critical of each other. But if you do want to be critical, be critical about this. That no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. If you want to judge something, judge how you're using your own freedom. The liberty that you have in Christ, judge how it is affecting those around you. Critique how wisely and carefully you're using the freedom in Christ in, in relation to your brothers and sisters in the family of God. How important it is for us to be reminded we all affect someone. You know, we just don't go through We're not an island unto ourselves. We all affect someone positively or negatively. So don't trip your brother or sister in what you're doing. Give some consideration to others in the family of God. Yes, we want them to grow up. And just as it took time for you to get some maturity under your belt, it takes some time for some of the others in this family. Now, it's important to note that Paul was not talking about the legalist. He's talking about the weaker brother, and there's a big difference between the two. The legalist or the Galatianist. The legalist or the Galatianist is someone who's heard the truth but rejects it. He takes the gospel, adds something to it, his preferences. That's not the person that the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage. He has on his mind the weaker brother. 
The weaker brother is someone who is growing spiritually, but he is uninformed. There's some truths he still does not understand, some of the deeper truths about walking with God. Uh, he's teachable, but he's still not yet mature. Let me give you an example. Years ago, I belonged to another congregation. And uh, we were taught in some subtle, sometimes open ways, that it's wrong to drive a vehicle. If you really want to be serious with God, you just don't drive. It's too much like the kingdom of this age or the world. And I believe that. But you can imagine to my dismay as I seen Brother Darrell driving through town in a vehicle for the first time. Needless to say, I was offended because I thought he believed what I believed. But you know what the reality was? I was the weaker brother. I was growing, but I was woefully uninformed. There were some things I just didn't understand about God. So the context is the weaker brother, someone who doesn't understand some of these truths. It's not the legalist who, who wants to go around just controlling people. He, he isn't, he doesn't have that in mind. Verse 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of itself. Man, what a stretching statement. We have been taught some things are just right and some things are just wrong. That's not what Paul says. In fact, he says, I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus. This wasn't Paul's opinion. This was Jesus' opinion. Nothing is unclean of itself. Um, we need to remember that the Apostle Paul has in mind gray areas he does not have in mind those things that are black and black and white things that god calls sin is sin he has in mind these 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 gray areas these these prickly areas we kind of get on these others nerves about that's what he has in mind and uh things that we might consider taboo uh, t uh you know wrong or not wrong but get this in and of themselves they are neutral they are not necessarily wrong of themselves. Um, those of you who tend to do life very narrowly and very conservatively, let this verse stretch you. I confess it makes me uncomfortable. And when you've considered it and you joined me, I know you that you really considered it. Because we tend to look at gray areas as black and white issues. So this is the first truth that helps us retain a balance in the gray areas is that nothing is unclean of itself. Again, these are the gray areas. These are not things when God calls something sin, it's sin. And it depends upon the, on the neutral thing as to whether it becomes right or, or the one who's picking it up as to whether it becomes right or wrong. Notice what he says. 
But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. It depends upon the one picking up the neutral thing, whether it is right or not. It depends upon his maturity, whether it is right or wrong for him. Again, the gray areas are neutral, but it depends upon the individual picking it up. I know this is hard to grasp, that the same thing could be wrong for one person and right for another. We need to remember, Paul is going to say, in the latter part of this chapter, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. This is one of the reasons why it is essential that we have some diversity in this church family. Why there's some room for differences. Just because God has given the green light to someone for something does not mean that he's given the green light to you. Don't violate your conscience and get ahead of your faith. Paul reminds us, he that, eat, that doubts and, and eats is damned. I know these are, these, are, these are some tough truths, and some of you might have never heard them taught. But we, we've got to understand that. Now, even though some of you understand that you could do it and you choose not to, I want you to understand that that is okay. I want you to get the second truth here. Spiritual maturity is understanding. I have the freedom to do something, but choosing to exercise self-control and restraining myself out of a love for others. Spiritual maturity has never been running wild and doing anything you can. That has never been spiritual maturity. We encourage if you make changes in this congregation that you make them slowly and you give consideration to the rest of the congregation. Why is it important? Verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy him not with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not your good be evil spoken of. Those of you who enjoy your freedom you have in Christ and enjoy using it need to understand something. The reason that liberty has a bad name or a bad rap is because of how destructively it gets used. If you want to give liberty a bad name, all you need to do is you flaunt it. You don't consider anybody else. When someone has an issue with it, you let them know that it's their problem, not yours. That's how you give the freedom we have in Christ a bad name. You guys have all lived long enough to have watched someone use their liberty really destructively. And it's ironic, they would consider themselves mature. But that's not love, and that's not maturity. 
To those of you that you enjoy your liberty, Paul reminds you that Jesus died for that brother or sister who has an issue with you. You need to take that into consideration. They are valuable. They're valuable. You don't destroy others in the church family with your liberty, the things you can do. That isn't liberty, that's license. Make wise choice with your liberty. Our freedom in Christ is intended to edify, edify others. It's our liberty that we have in Jesus Christ is intended to build people up. It's intended to add something to other people's lives. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is another truth that all of you need to get a hold of. And it doesn't matter where you're at. The kingdom of God is not about the gray areas themselves. It is about living righteously and leading people into righteousness and, and uh, helping people find peace with God and the joy of the Holy Ghost. It is not about those gray areas. Too many churches are making the mistake of focusing on the gray areas rather than focusing on how is it going to affect how we minister? How does it affect my ministry personally? Oh, those are the kind of questions we ought to be asking. You know, you know why that's a valid question? If you're really serious with God, it's a valid question. How is it going to affect me ministering to someone else? Look at verse 18. That's why it's important. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved unto men, being accepted by men as well. If your life, if your freedom that you have in Christ is being used positively, then you can rest assured that you are accepted with God and you're accepted with others. Isn't that amazing? It's when we use it negatively and selfishly that our liberty becomes destructive. When your focus, when your focus is, is, is being used wisely and not destructively, you will be exercising both love for your brothers and self-control. There's some restraint there. Notice what he says. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith, wherewith one may edify another. Isn't it amazing how God is able to take two sides and just kind of bring them together? He said, wait a minute, guys. How about we all just follow after those things that would be for peace and that would build each other up? I'm just so convinced this works, guys. If we would all follow after that... I, don't see what the issue would be.
You know, it'd be a great moment for me just to stop and ask you to take some inventory of your life. The freedom you have in Christ. And just ask a simple question, how's it working? How's it working? Is it about you or is it about about others? Does it build people up or does it destroy people? You lead people into what's right? Or is your liberty leading people into sin? Does it offend? Does it stumble others? As I consider these questions, I realize I have a lot to grow in. I understand that. Verse 20. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eateth with offense. The spiritual welfare of your brothers and sisters supersedes your liberty. Paul says it is evil to continue to offend your brother. Years ago, as I began uh, this ministry, I started in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I loved the pulpit simply because it hid my shaking knees. But as I worked through Paul's letter, I came to chapter 11. The part that has to do with communion and the part that James reads uh, before communion. And uh, I got into the part where there was the bread and and the grape juice. And I shared on that. And I shared... How that where I came from, we used wine. And uh, by that time, I had a little time and a little experience under my belt, and I probably felt a little cocky about it. And I advocated using wine here someday. Uh, after the message, an individual pulled me to side privately and lovingly and shared with me how the earlier years of his life had been spent in the battle with alcohol. Today, I would never advocate wine here. You know why? Because I care about my brother. You know, here in this fellowship, in this family, we are all about people getting home safe. the last thing I would want to do is stumble my brother, trip my brother up. We're here about helping each other. And I've grown enough, I wouldn't advocate that if it weren't for my brother here. I want you to know I am so okay with sacrificing my liberty for my brother. Even if it means the rest of my life. We all need to understand that our liberty has some limits to it. It's limited by our love for others, for the truth, and it's limited by our self-control. We need to be exercising self-control in our liberty and the freedom we have. 
Look at verse 21. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, and notice this, nor anything. If you've got a Bible and you're using it, take a pen and underline it. You need to, you need to see that. Nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made, made weak. Paul is saying, be considerate, be thoughtful, care about others in this church family. We're here about taking care of each other. Be sensitive. Now, I get that no one likes to be considered a weaker brother. And if someone offends you or is tripping you up, speak up. There aren't any of us here that read minds. And we will do our best to give it some consideration. Verse 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Paul is saying, be convinced of what God says is right and wrong for you. Stop juggling guilt and freedom. If it's wrong, give it up. And if it's right, use it carefully. I just need to be very clear this morning. I am not advocating walking on pins and needles concerning our freedom in Christ. I'm advocating being reasonable. Listening to the Lord, listening to each other. I know some of these things take some time. And if someone's offended, taking some consideration for that and helping a brother or sister to grow. I am not saying we listen to everybody on everything. We all know that would be the fast track to the funny farm. All right? So I'm I'm advocating being reasonable. <laughs> Happy is he that condemneth not in that in which he alloweth. Latter part of verse 22. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. I love this. Sometimes the greatest enemy to a healthy, balanced walk in the freedom of Christ is ourselves. Isn't it amazing how we waffle back and forth? We'll try something, and then it kind of bothers us, and so we don't do it, and we stop. And we do it again, and then we kind of worry what someone else might think, and so we stop again. And we kind of go back and forth, and back and forth. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying being consistent. If it's wrong for you, don't do it. And if God has given you the green light, then, it's cool. then just be consistent. Be consistent. Verse 23. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. This is so simple. The eighth truth is this, when in doubt, don't. 
If God hasn't given you the green light on it, if, you're, if you feel guilty, then don't do it. Don't do it. Paul has the weaker brother in mind when he wrote that. There's some things you struggle with, just don't do it. As I close, I want to invite all of you to join us in sustaining the freedom we have in Christ. The freedom that we enjoy and value in this church family. And you could do that by being responsible, being sensitive, and being balanced. Let's pray. Father, we just bow before you today. Thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for the scriptures, Lord. Thank you for the light they shed on really relevant areas of life. Even those areas that we struggle with at times, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for how we can depend upon you, trust you, and, and how we can trust each other, Lord. Lord, I would pray this would be a part that we would grow in, that by faith, the words that have, the seed that has gone forth today, that it would bring forth fruit, much harvest. Thank you, for Lord, for what you're going to do as we walk by faith, as we believe it, and as we follow. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.